so uh, you'll get the chance to kind of hear my heart. Also, because of the series you're in, um, it's always interesting uh, stepping into a series uh, that a church is already in. Uh, I may do things a little bit differently today with my message. I'm going to try something that I haven't done in a long time with how I approach it, and we'll just see how it works. But my basic role with Ivana, even with that long title, is just to simply be an encouragement um, to the pastors and the churches, to be a resource, to be a voice from the outside that can sit with people when you're walking through things like pastoral transitions, governance changes, um, even just a vision for what they might do with their church into the future. I just, I'm able to work alongside of the regional pastors, so I would be um, over um, Don uh, Patterson, who's been relating to your congregation, um, and yet uh, we're a flat enough organization, I, I truly see him as a, a friend and a peer. And um, another part of what I'm doing is I'm just working at building out our social media and other communication um, pieces. So uh, at, at the heart, I love Jesus. Um, I've experienced a lot in the church. I told a couple people here in Sunday school that um, my family came out of a non-believing background. My father was a marginal Catholic. Mom had no church background. They were separated, and I was a small child. And uh, my mother's boss led um, my mother to Christ, and in turn, I turned to Christ. And my father wanted to restore that marriage and to be in relationship again. And uh, we were attending a, a local Baptist church, my mother and I, and um, my father came to Christ around Christmas of 1981, and the family was restored. And so I really, truly believe in the power of the gospel to change lives. Um, my life would be in a different place if that had not happened. Um, and so I, I believe strongly in the church, but then even in my 20s, I walked away from the church for some time. Um, really frustrated with places where I saw grace not rolling out. Uh, where I experienced what I would call spiritual abuse. Um, and uh, I just I gave the church one more chance a few, uh, probably about a year later, um, where I started relating to a local Mennonite church in Ohio. Um, my wife had come out of the Mennonite background and um, had said, let's just give this one more shot. And there I experienced uh, a relationship with a body of believers who, who just loved me back into the presence of the Lord. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I do believe that with all of its good and bad and ugliness, that Jesus basically says that he's going to build his kingdom using his church. So there's really no plan B. I grew up in Maine, uh, so that's a little bit uh, of a different trajectory for some people who might be speaking with you. I grew up on the East Coast in, in um, kind of at the edge of the Maine woods in the last large city there before you get into the, the north in, in Bangor, Maine. So yes, I had moose in my neighborhood and all kinds of fun things like that. Uh, I went to college in Michigan, at Hillsdale College, um, small liberal arts college there in, in uh, lower uh, central Michigan, where I met my wife uh, and I got a degree in theater and a minor in art and classical studies, wanted to work in performing arts, and took a job with the Toledo Symphony in Ohio and worked there for about three years as their marketing manager while my wife taught Spanish and uh, German at the local high school in, in Fulton County um, across the line um, over in the Archbold area. There's a large Mennonite population there as well. Um, so we've loved our time in Toledo, and I just felt this burning, though, while I was working for the symphony, that I'd really been running from a calling that God had on my life. And he put an 83-year-old interim minister in my life who, who just 
absolutely uh, just confronted me. He just said, man, you are laying your whole life down for the arts, and yet I think you are going, you're doing it in the wrong area. Um, and so I got a call in the ministry, had a number of other friends um, put that call on me as well. And in the Anabaptist tradition, um, your calling comes from the congregation and from the people around you. In the Baptist tradition, you say, well, I have a calling. And so somewhere in between the two, I felt I had a calling, and the church laid it on me. And what happened was around 2000, a lot of people were um, really noticing that the, the pipeline of pastors were starting to taper off and, and available candidates. And it really just convicted me that, that maybe I needed to step out and serve. I went to seminary and worked at a, a Christian television station for three years. That was an interesting experience. I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but then I landed at Pleasant View Church north of Goshen for 14 years. And I just loved that assignment. And when Ivana came and offered this particular position for people to apply for, I just found myself really finding myself in a situation that, yeah, I love what I'm doing, but I also love the wider church. Um, those of you who do know me from other settings, uh, just the place that I feel the most excited about is when I'm networking with people and bringing new people together to see new things created. And uh, so when I had the opportunity then to, to be the candidate for this role with Ivana, I really felt torn, kind of like a yes and a yes. And I know, I know Michael and Tanya Dean very well. They're dear friends of ours, and it feels the same for him to say yes to staying here or say yes to a new opportunity. Um, we who are called to serve in a local congregation, we pour our lives out. We've just become part of the family, and it, it does become very difficult when it's time to make transitions. So uh, I love Pleasant View very much. It was very difficult for me to say that I'm moving on, but I'm thankful for that experience, and I bring that with me to the work that I'm doing now with Ivana. Um, I've also just note I love what I do now because I get to see and be in places where my friends are. I know a number of you from our gatherings, and now my wife and I have enjoyed getting to know um, Luke and Ellen. Um, they are working hard to catch up with us. We have seven children, so <laughs> we, uh, we, we have a lot of fun when we're together and we compare a lot of notes, and I've been telling him lately to start getting ready to own an Amo hauler or an Amish hauler. Uh, I, I have one. I have with seven kids. I, I only have a 12 and 15 passenger van available. So I drive an old van that was used to haul Amish around our area. I often joke that I want to put not for hire down the side of it or, uh, you know, Hartford Mental Institute, don't feed the animals or something. Um, but uh, anyway, I drive through the country. My offices are out in the country, and uh, I have some Amish families that wave to me, and they think that I'm their driver or something, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of fun. Uh, I, I like rabbit trails. So for the young people that are here, just uh, imagine I pulled into a pizza place one time, and we were leaving uh, with, with the kids after we'd do gotten done eating. And we were parked beside a church van that was just like ours. So I'm pulling out, and all of a sudden, like, ten kids come running out of the pizza joint, like, screaming at the van, banging on it. And my kids were all going. And it uh, turns out they thought their youth pastor was pulling out of the parking lot without them. Um, that was... Uh, um, well, we just share this bond in the Spirit. I may not know most of you, but I'm just so thankful to meet more brothers and sisters in Christ, to know that we are connected uh, through the name of Jesus Christ and the gift of His life and His death, His resurrection and His blood. Amen. 
And I want to just tell you before I start in this passage that several people have already mentioned to me that this has been a difficult season for your church in the time of the pandemic and just some people are still needing to feel like they need to be at home, which I understand and respect, and there are others who have stepped away. I mean, I I get it. Every church I've been in and every church that's of any tradition I relate to is struggling with this season of um, just the highly politicized environment that we are in, uh, even around the election and then around now with different approaches to uh, the, the coronavirus, the vaccine, and, and other ways that people are handling it. And I think one of the things that we've struggled with, and I'm a person with a hearing problem, I have a hearing aids, I have not much real estate left for this mic, um, I, you know, covering up the mouth has been a very difficult time for me for 18 months to two years, I, like not being able to see people's lips and communicate. But there's something there that feels like a barrier between you and, and the person you're trying to read. Or when we're relating through Zoom or you're trying to do classes remotely, it's just so hard, right? Because it's not that direct personal connection. And and sometimes it just takes a little extra effort for us to to be loving and understanding and generous with people when we're having that breakdown of that connection. And let's not lose sight of that, though, that every person made in the image of God and that while we may not agree on everything, we do know that we're called to love our brothers and our enemies. And I don't know about you, but in this season, it's been even harder for me to love my family and my friends and the people who are close to me than I have been to my enemies. There's things that have been said and done. It's just been so hard, amen? Anyone else there? Like, I just want to encourage you that um, you're not alone in that. And um, God is doing amazing and wonderful things right now. We just went through a revival service at our church, and, and, and um, there's been some, some amazing answers to prayer. Uh, God is dislocating people. He's, he's reorienting them, and He's doing powerful work among us. And we have nothing to fear because we know who holds the future. And uh, so I just want to keep encouraging you with uh, the walk that you're on. Yes, we may be in different contexts and different communities, but we do face very similar challenges as we try to love each other well. I'd like to go to our passage. If you have a Bible, feel free to look at Genesis 24. I'm going to wait on the little passage that I'm going to have read. If that's on the screens, we can wait on that. But if you, can, if you didn't bring your Bible, um, it's okay. Pull it up on your phone. Um, I like to use Bible, BibleGateway.com or the Bible app. And it's in Genesis 24. You're walking through. Um, I'm going to do this passage later. If you want to do that main slide, that's fine. I'm going to be walking through Genesis 24, and I'll come to that section in a second. I don't know all that Luke has covered with you, but um, I I just love uh, Genesis because this is how I picture the book of Genesis. Um, (laughs) It's crazy. I was preaching on the flood last week at a different church because they're going through Genesis. The first couple of chapters are usually what get all the attention, right? Like the creation story. When you think of Genesis, it's creation. Half the book is the story of Joseph. And every story just gets longer and longer and more complex. And just beautiful building out. And just imagine, before this was written, it was in an oral culture, and imagine a couple of kids sitting around the campfire out there and grandpa's sitting there and the kid says, hey, can you tell us that story about our 
great, 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 great grandfather Abraham. And 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 they just they tell these stories. This is this is stories. This isn't some formula. This is an explanation of how God is our God. And when I was dealing with the flood story or others, they tell the story to say that this is how we got into this situation. See, so it's not, this book is really about how are all the different ways that we go sideways in life, how can we come back to God and have a relationship? In the first 13, 14 chapters of Genesis, we see every single kind of bad behavior we can commit to one another and to the world roll out. It's a book about how we got in this place and then how God is going to redeem us. So I just loved walking through Genesis. It's so narrative. And um, so if you want to go to Genesis 24, and I'm actually not going to read through it. I'm just going to try to do a little synopsis of it because you really can't pull out like sections and do it really well, do it justice. Because again, they're stories, right? Like you don't just give the punchline. You've got to tell the story. So imagine this. In his old age, and if you're breezing through this chapter 24, Abraham is concerned. God's made a promise to him that he's going to make a blessing to the nations, and he's concerned that his son doesn't have a wife yet. Sounds like a common concern for some families. And he commissions this servant to go out and look for someone. And he says, don't go among these people. We need to go back to family. We need to go to people we know. And now what I'm going to do a little differently than what you may be used to, it's not going to be an exegetical sermon that kind of goes into every little word or whatever. It's going to be just, every once in a while, I'll just kind of give a little observation. and It's kind of like in, in ethnic Mennonite circles. It's like, oh, but do you know, do you know that name? Like, we just like, it'd be good if it was a Yoder or a Miller. Or a, you know, I, I maybe get a little close to home, but we, it's okay. Like, sometimes that's why we play the name game. We just want to know where they're from. We want to know their people. Okay? They have good stock. He sends him to Ur of Chaldees. But he's also concerned. He wants to make sure that it's somebody who understands the mission you're on. And the, and the servant asks, but what if I can't find someone? Do I take your son with me? And Abraham says, no, don't do that. Because the Lord has promised the land that we're in right now to our descendants. And if no one comes back, you're released from your duty to me. He, he knew that he was committed to not just the promise of future generations, but to the land that they're living in. So the servant goes with ten camels, loaded up with all kinds of materials, and he goes out into the ancestral home of Abraham's people, right? Makes the long journey, and he makes those camels kneel down by a well, and the evening comes, and the women are coming out to draw the water. And so he prays to God, saying, God, will you give me someone who fits the things that my master wants? God, can you give us somebody who will just simply say that I will simply, that will offer water to me and my camels? It's kind of like what we talk about in Christian circles, like a Gideon's fleece. Like, just give me one little thing. Now, I know I, I, I have to be very careful with this. We don't just ask God to tempt him to respond. But there are moments in our lives where we need to ask God and say, God, can you just give me a sign? 
Can you just give me some picture that says you're going to come through in this moment? I really need it. I need what they call like a rock of remembrance, right? And I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've been able to say to the Lord, Lord, just give me one thing that just says that I'm on the right path. And he's been faithful to give that. Because it says in Scripture that the Lord is willing and able. He wants to come and he wants to give us wisdom to anyone who asks. And so if I'm looking for wisdom and guidance from the Lord, that's a prayer he wants to answer. So if we ask it in the right heart, and like this servant, he says, I just want to do the right thing. I know you've made a promise to my master that there's going to be future generations. So can you please just like, make sure that I know this is the right thing? And before he even finishes praying, Rebecca comes out to draw water. And she's this beautiful woman who's unmarried. And he walks, she walks up and he runs to her. Right? He meets her at this place and says, um, can I have a drink? And she says, yes, I'll get you a drink. Wow. I mean, before, I mean, just as the prayer is ending. And then she offers to water the camels. Now, I'm going to come back to this at another point here, but, um, you know, if a camel's been on a long journey and they can hold, they can hold up without water for a long time, um, some of the references I've read have said that a single camel can take about 30 gallons of water. Ten camels. Let that sink in for a second. That's a lot of work. That's, that's, um, that's a hard-working lady, I can tell you that much right now. My arms are thinking about getting water for ten camels. And so, of course, he goes, oh, my goodness, this is the keeper. And he offers her, right, the gifts of the camels and says, will you welcome me in? Will you take me to your home to stay? And he thanks God for honoring and answering that prayer. Her brother Laban comes out and welcomes them. He's offered a meal, but he can't eat yet until he makes the offer, maybe coming back. Come back with me and be the wife to Abraham's son, Isaac. And I'm going to go to verse 42 here. The, the next slide here. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I've come. I don't know about you, but over the last few years, I've really been changing how I pray, probably the last decade. I, I, I try to ask boldly, and I always try to say, though, if you will, if it be your will, Lord, please. I don't want it to be mine. Just grant success. Next. The next slide. Uh, see, I'm standing beside this spring, and if a young woman comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she says to me, drink, I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. And before I finish praying in my heart, in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder, she went down to the spring, drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels. And so I drank, and she watered the camels too. And so as her family hears this story, 
they are also convicted by the Lord and, and through this story, this testimony, that this is meant to be. And he gave all those gifts to Abraham and they sent her off with a blessing. I don't know about you. I have to rest in the parts of the story that I understand. If a dude showed up at my door with 10 camels loaded with stuff and asked for my oldest daughter and said, I just prayed to God. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I would have sent him off with a blessing. It, we just have to be uncomfortable with it and just say, okay, well, that's the culture, right? Like, I don't quite understand how that works, you know, but their people knew their people and something worked out there. And I've been in enough other cultures and countries where that kind of arrangement is done. And I've seen couples that are deeply in love that have been married for years and years and years because, and their family matched them up and they didn't know each other at all. So it, it does work, okay? But it's just, it's just a different story than what we're used to. Now, I had enough trouble learning English with my hearing problem, so I'm going to butcher this word probably anyways when I read it. But there's something I want you to pay attention to, that when Rebecca goes back to see Isaac, it says that Isaac was in Beer Lahavor, the place where God is seeing. This is important <coughs> because we were just talking about Abraham Remember, he had a son earlier named Ishmael. And Hagar was sent out from Abraham into the wilderness. And she collapses. And she encounters the Lord. And she becomes the first person in the Bible to name God. He says, you are the God of my seeing. And she names this place, the place where God sees. Isaac is hanging out in the place where God sees. Tied to the story of his half-brother to a woman that was cast out who says, this is the place of God's seeing. Your series is on God provides. I'm going to get a little further into this and it's gonna, it, it was messing with my brain when I got into this deeper. But imagine, he's in this place that's called the God who sees. This God who looks upon this woman who's been outcast with compassion and mercy. And this is the same God He's following. It's the well of the one who lives and sees me. It's the well of the vision of life. And He sees our condition and He moves and He responds. This is a God who desires a relationship. We haven't quite seen that yet with Isaac and Rebekah. But we know that he's sitting here in this space before he sees Rebecca where there has been relationship established between God and humanity. <clears throat> he sees her from a distance and he gets up and he runs to her. He comes to her. He's been meditating as well. And she sees him and says, Who are you? Who is he? And there's love at first sight. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So if you want to tell the story just from the lens of romance, it's a wonderful little romantic story, right? They wind up getting married, and he's comforted in the loss of his mother who has died. Now, this is where my brain started going a little bit strained, and I'm going to do the sermon a little differently than I normally do. That's kind of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Well, obviously, the story goes on for several more chapters, but 
in Genesis 29, Isaac's son, Jacob, does the same thing. He's on the journey and he goes to the people of his people and he's watering flocks and he talks to these shepherds and he says, oh, where are you from? We're from Haran. Well, that's where my people are from. And he says, well, is Laban doing all right? Well, yes, here comes his daughter with the flocks. And he'd buy this well. You see what's happening here? So the next generation comes and he's sitting on the edge of a well and this young lady starts coming and he's needing a wife. And he's talking about watering the sheep and we can't, we can't move anywhere. We can't go back until we feed the sheep with water. And Rachel comes and he rolls away the stone and he waters his uncle's sheep. And then Jacob kisses Rachel and begins to weep, saying, I am a relative. Now, if we want to go on into this story and think about all the things that happened, there are other things that happened where Laban plays a trick on him and he winds up marrying Leah first and there's all these other things. But the main point is that the Jewish people know that God is providing, right? And he puts this story of meeting the wife at the well. And then here comes another one, meeting the wife at the well. And, and it's this, it's this, this um, constant provision of providing at a well in really unique and special ways. It, um, for a Jewish person, this is embedded in their story, right? It's a way to even remember the story. You have Abraham, and then you have Isaac, who meets his wife at the well, and then there's Jacob, who meets his wife at the well. And um, it's just kind of this, uh, it's something about a symbol that doesn't quite make, it doesn't um, come out by word. You just kind of know it when you're near a well. You know, do you ever have those special places you go back to that you're like, oh, that, that's a memory that I have. I remember, um, you know, and someone just shared, you just shared, how many generations have lived in the house that you're in now? Five? You know, it's like you come back to the, the home. You know when you crest the hill, this is where something happened. This is where life happened. And it's a way of remembering other times you've come over into the space, into your new home. You see, the story then positions ourselves for the Gospel. The reason why I like Genesis is it makes the Gospel make sense. So why don't you go with me to John 4. This, this is, I know sometimes people want a sermon that's more like an application and this is what I do when I go to the factory or out on the field, but this is, this is a different approach, okay? Think about this for a second. And do we have that? This is crazy. Who put this slide in here? I didn't, it, I didn't, I didn't provide this slide. I was in here this morning, it's going through, and I'm like, maybe, maybe Luke did it. I don't know. But I didn't anticipate having a slide already ready for John 4. But think about this for a second. We want to be all about words, but think about the image. Close your eyes for a second and think about the fact. Picture that Jesus goes through Samaria 
And he comes to a well. He comes to a well called Jacob's well. And he sits down. Any Jewish person who is hearing this story is immediately going, What? He sits on the edge of Jacob's well? Uh oh. Is he aligning himself with the patriarchs? And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water and he says, Will you give me a drink? Wait, what? In a Jewish mind that knows their stories, they're going, this is, this is deja vu. And in my mind, I'm going, wow, this is kind of cool, but where does he go with it? What's different about the story? Instead of somebody who is, say, a Rebecca, a woman from the family, it's a woman that is an outcast, that is a mixed religion and even race background, who is unloved by the Jewish people, who's like a Hagar, right? And she's living in adultery with multiple partners. This is not the bride that Jacob would have wanted to take. But she comes, and Jesus asks a question. And remember where Isaac had been living? In the place of the God who sees. And Jesus looks on this woman and He sees her. He doesn't just see her. He sees her. He knows all, their, all the faults. He knows all the good. And He looks on her with love. And He goes into this wonderful discussion, right? About worship. And they start kind of debating about the place and the way, which is nothing we do today, right? We never argue over anything that relates to where we should worship or how we should worship. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Like, really what happened is, is everybody who drinks water from this well is going to be thirsty again. But if you drink from me, I'm going to fill you up with spiritual water that will come to overflowing or slosh out of you. You'll splash onto other people and there will be no denying that you have drunk from a well that will sustain you. I'm going to give you more than ten camels worth. It's not what you can even draw out. It's what I can give to you. Look at how he changes that story. Look at the power of that story. And I believe that that woman, because see, the Samaritans believed that, um, that they were really only supposed to follow the Torah. So they would have known these stories. And it's happening to her. That here is the one who sits on the edge of the well saying, I'm going to give you all the water that you need. And if you want to play with the story some more, pay attention to then the movement of the disciples coming and even saying, well, why are you talking to her? And then she runs into the city and, and brings a bunch of other, other people up and, and he testifies and she testifies. And, and then the whole city turns to Jesus. And there's this beautiful movement back and forth between what? Well, a physical representation of who Jesus is in our lives. I think what I'd like to do is just end it with this 
thing that I've been wrestling with all week. And I'm so thankful that Luke um, made me sit with this passage. Um, it's such a beautiful story. You could just leave it at the romance story in Genesis. You could bring it over to, oh, here's another happening in Genesis 29. And you can even leave it with John 4. But let me just leave it with you, because I think the story continues today. I think that Jesus sits at the well of the water. He might even sit at the well that we think is the place where we should be getting water from. And we come looking for water, and He sees us, and He calls us to Him. And sometimes we find ourselves maybe in relationships we shouldn't be in, or we're acting in broken ways, or we're arguing over like some minutia about worship or a particular space or the way we handle something or something is happening to us to in work. And Jesus is saying to us, you know what, I really just I desire a worshiper who worships me in spirit and in truth who wants to come to me and say, yes, you know, I've been thirsting after all these things, but really, it's really about me desiring a relationship with you, Lord. Can you then maybe um, come and, and fill me back up? Fill me with the water from the well that never ends. And then, can we embrace the idea that Jesus then looks at us with all of our warts, and maybe we're not from the perfect family. Maybe, maybe we're we're on our fifth husband or boyfriend or we're messing around with whatever we're not supposed to be in and he comes along and he looks at us and he says, you know, when you call on me, you're now my bride. Like I'm now, because the scripture says that those who follow him are now the bride of the groom of the Lord. And that we become beloved like Rachel. Or beloved like Rebecca, washed clean and pure, given the opportunity to be in relationship with God in a way that we could never imagine. And then you have that story that we started with where the two are together and they're comforted. He's comforted in his loss and they become one. What does that mean for us? Maybe someone here today needed to just hear that you you can have a relationship with the Lord that is like this, like coming to the well, and He says, I'm not just going to take care of the drink. I'm going to be in such full relationship with you. It's going to be like a marriage. And that is the God who provides. Amen? Amen? Thank you so much for the honor to teach and preach with you today. Um, I love, I love uh, getting to see where all my friends are ministering. And thank you again for the honor and the opportunity to be here uh, in front of you today. I'll be here after the service for a little bit if you'd like to talk some more. So, thanks.